Well, good morning and welcome. It is so good to have you here as we gather together to worship our great God and King, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so welcome in His name. We are glad that you're here. There are lots of different things that are going on. And with getting uh, to that time of year of fall and the return of school and schedules and all of those kinds of things, so a few things I want to make sure that you knew uh, that are going on. One is something that's not going on that normally does is we won't have a young adult group uh, this evening. Uh, evidently, most of the young adults have said this was the weekend for them to be out of town. So uh, we're not going to try to do that uh, this evening, but we, that is a, a normal thing that we do each Sunday at 6 p.m. here in the, in the church library. And then later this week, we're having a concert of prayer. Uh, this is a special time of us gathering together to pray together, uh, silently but also out loud. And the focus uh, this time will be on the praise of God. And so this is a great time to come and be a part of the church family here and to praise God together. And so that's at 7 o'clock this Friday evening. Then we've also got Sunday school starting back up again, and we're, we're doing that a little bit differently. We're starting uh, on the 4th of September, and so that's sooner than we normally do. We're trying to, to get to where we can easily communicate to folks. Our summer schedule is June, July, and August, and then our school schedule runs September through uh, to May. So we'll, we'll restart Sunday school September 4th, and that also means then we'll go from the 9.30 service to the 10.30 service. So uh, make sure that you mark that on your calendars and are planning uh, on attending with that. That'll be wonderful. And we'll be, for the adult Sunday school, uh, continuing on the look at the Old Testament prophets. So I'm really enjoying that and hope that you'll enjoy it as well. On our outreach to the green, that's something that we're continuing on Wednesdays. It goes through the middle of October. And one of the things that we're finding is, is that a lot of our great helpers are folks that are working in the schools. So with the return of school, that means that we've got less people to help in the green. So if you have not yet helped with the, the outreach on the green or have done that a few times, we'd love to have you, especially in September and October, helping us with that. That's Wednesdays from 3 uh, to 6 p.m., and you can see Jeff Dedell uh, in terms of signing up for any of those specific dates. That way we know kind of what to, what to plan for and how to do that. The intro class is continuing. It's not too late to join that. We've still got two more sessions this Thursday and next Thursday. That's at 6 o'clock. We start with uh, a meal together here uh, and have a wonderful time, so we'd love to have you be a part of that. And then we've also got the Ladies' Tuesday Bible study that's restarting just in a few weeks now. That's on September 13th, and so you want to find out more about that. Who's the best person to talk to about that? Bonnie Atwood. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry. I'm not supposed to laugh up here. I just couldn't help it because I saw Bonnie raising her hand, and then Dick like did, did this kind of, kind of things. <laughs> um, I... I hope you're able to laugh and, and enjoy our time together. We've, we've come to worship God, and yes, that's a reverent, holy thing. Uh, but in that reverence, don't forget joy. That, that when David was bringing the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem, he didn't walk in going, he danced, he sang, he rejoiced, he wept. He delighted in our God. And so I invite you to do the same. 
Come with me as we delightfully worship our God and King. Let's prepare our hearts now. Please stand together with me as uh, you listen to me read Matthew chapter 5 and as we together by our standing call one another to worship our great God and King. God's word in Matthew says, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but up on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that you may see your good works. They may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Praise be to God. Lord, we thank you and praise you that you don't need our invitation to be here. You are already here. That you don't um, just do as we command, but Lord, we come to do as you command. You are God. You are King. You are worthy of all praise, and so we now joyfully give it. We praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Let us sing together hymn number 265, Come, Ye Faithful, Raise the Strain.
Thank you. You may be seated. Please turn with me to page 264 in your pew Bible. Read for us 2 Chronicles 7, verses 11 to 22. Again, page 364 in your pew Bible. Starting at verse 711. Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord in the king's house. All that Solomon had planned to do in the house of the Lord, in his own house he successfully accomplished. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. For now I have chosen and consecrated this house that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. And as for you, if you will walk before me as David your father walked, doing according to all that I have commanded you and keeping my statutes and rules, then I will establish your royal throne as I covenanted with David your father, saying, You shall not lack a man to rule Israel. But if you turn aside and forsake my statutes and my commandments that I have set before you, and go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will pluck you up from my land that I have given you, and this house that I have consecrated for my name. I will cast out of my sight, and I will make it a proverb and a byword among the peoples. And at this house, which was exalted, everyone passing by will be astonished and say, Why has the Lord done this to this land and to this house? Then they will say, Because they abandoned the Lord the God of their fathers who brought them out of the land of Egypt and laid hold onto other gods and worshiped them and served them. Therefore, he has brought all this disaster on them. This is the word of the Lord. The wonder of the gospel is, is that that residence, that place, that unique place that God will hear us from uniquely and specifically is no longer in Jerusalem. But we are the living stones built up as the temple that all of these promises apply to. Let us, in that spirit, confess our sins to the Lord. We have a prayer of confession here in the order. Please pray with me. We have broken faith with our God and have disobeyed His holy commands. But even now there is hope for God's people in spite of our sin. Therefore, let us make a covenant with our God to flee from sin, according to the counsel of my Lord and of those who tremble at the commandment of our God, and let it be done according to the law. Please take a few moments and make this prayer your own.
Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man or woman against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Praise be to the Lord. At this time, the ushers will come and will receive the offering. Let us give joyfully to the Lord. Lord God, thank you for these gifts that you have given us the privilege to return to you. We pray that you would use them, multiply them, bring glory to your name through them, we pray. For it's in that great name of Jesus we pray, amen. Please join me as we pray for the flock here at First Congregational Church of Woodstock. Lord God, thank you for bringing us together as your people. Lord, we're reminded of your commitment to us, not just individually, but also as a people. That you have bound us together with vows that we have taken before you and one another. That you, Lord Christ, have made us to be a family. And not just any family, but part of your family. And so we pray not only for the saints here gathered, but also those watching by live stream and those hindered from coming for whatever reasons, whether they're traveling or ill or whatever their circumstances are. Lord, we thank you for the family that you have gathered here in the Upper Valley. And Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters all around the world. As we gather today, Sunday, the Lord's Day, all nations being represented, all territories, all places throughout the earth that you have made, Lord, the whole earth should be giving you praise 24-7, and yet we don't. And so, now, as we gather in your name, we pray that you would receive the praises of your people. Lord, that you would be merciful to continue to call men and women and boys and girls to yourself, here in Woodstock and throughout this region, but also around the world. We pray for our brothers and sisters, particularly now, who are suffering greatly. Some who are grieving the loss of loved ones, others who are struggling to be able to provide food for their family, those who 
have illnesses and sicknesses that there doesn't seem to be any cure for. For those who are fearful, who are undergoing persecution or abuse, Lord, we pray that you would comfort them, that you would work in us as your people to come alongside them, to be their advocates, to listen to them and care for them. And Father, that doesn't have to be some faraway place. It may be a student who comes back to school from a home where they have experienced unimaginable horror. Lord, we pray that you would use your people that you've placed in those classrooms to be that one adult who would listen to them, who would demonstrate care for them. We pray particularly, Lord, for our teachers, school administrators, and others that are working on the front line with those children who need desperately to have someone that would show them compassion. Father, we pray that you would use all of us, not just the teachers, but all of us as prayer support for those teachers. This would not be something that they're doing just on their own, but that you would enable us as a family to come alongside them, to encourage them, to speak words of encouragement and help in the ways that we can. Lord, we continue to pray for our brothers and sisters in the Ukraine and Poland and all around Eastern Europe who are not in their own homes today, but are living in all kinds of other places, tents and shelters, other people's homes, on the street, in their car. Lord, we pray that in their displacement, you would be their home, their refuge, their strong tower. We thank you for our partnership with Samaritan's Ministry and or Samaritan's Purse, rather, and pray that you would use those volunteers and staff to provide the food and shelter and clothing. And not only those things, but the wonder of the gospel. To those who already know you, to be encouraged and reminded of that truth. And for those who don't yet know you, Lord, that you would use all of these difficulties to draw them to yourself. And Father, the, the list of those um, in need in the places of critical crises is too long for us to, to list out every place right now, but you know each and every one. So we pray, Lord, that you would be with your people, that you would hear our prayer, for Christ's sake, we pray. Amen. This morning we're using the Nicene Creed, and uh, 
this is something that, that we do not just because it's historic, but the creeds, particularly the Nicene Creed, is a, a creed that God's people gathered together, affirmed and said, yes, this is what we believe. And they did that to oppose false doctrines, things that, that people were teaching in the church that were not true. And the Nicene Creed is something that God's people have affirmed not only throughout the centuries, but also throughout the world. I was recently um, on the web looking up a pastor that I had heard about, a, just an incredible story of, of how God was working in and through him. But I always want to know, okay, where is this guy, right? Where, what does he actually believe? And so I went to, to his website, the church's website, and it was it was fabulous. It was the Nicene Creed, but it was put in layman's terms. It was it was kind of street language because the where he's ministering is very much in the streets. And to have this affirmation, something that when we say out loud, we're joining our voices with God's people all around the globe to say yes, this is what we believe. This is what the scriptures teach. We're not adding to the scriptures. We're just summarizing this is what it says. And so with that in mind, let us now answer these questions. Christian, what is it that we believe? We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man, and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again according to the scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he shall come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And we believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins. And we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing.
Please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. Hear this from Revelation 21, God's holy and errant Word. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride or adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. How do we respond? Oh, what wondrous love is this. Hymn 261. Let's sing together.
Thank you. You may be seated. Please turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. For those of you not uh, familiar with our preaching ministry, we do preach expositorily. That is, we start in a book of the Bible and work our way through verse by verse, section by section, uh, because we believe that this Bible is God's holy word and that every word of it is intended to reveal to us who God is and who he's made us to be. And so we want to, to get all that's there and work through the whole of each of these books. So here now, God's holy word from Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 to 14. Not that I have already attained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Because Jesus Christ has made me his own. Brothers, I, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Lord God, thank you for this, your word. We pray that you would help us. Help us to understand what you mean in these words. Help us to understand what things in our lives need to go because of what you say here. Lord God, help us to press on as we hear Paul encouraging the church at Philippi. And we pray that by your grace, you would more and more make us like Christ. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. They say that the older that or the longer that you're married, the more that you resemble your spouse. I don't know if if you've heard that before or seen that. Some of you I noticed started looking around immediately, you know. And and I think it's very true. That, that we do begin to resemble our spouse, particularly as we get older and have more time. And it makes sense, right? You're spending the majority of your time with this other person. You're eating the same things, living in the same place, doing many of the same things. And it, it shows up. Well, this morning we're looking at a passage that, that is taking that reality and connecting it with the reality that Jesus has promised to be our bridegroom. And that the church, his people, are his bride. And that what we should expect is, is that the longer that we walk with Jesus, the more that we will resemble him. But this passage also tells us that that doesn't just happen by proximity, but that that requires, like marriage, a lot of hard work. So we're going to see in these three verses how we are to be more and more conformed 
to the resurrected Christ. Not, not just Jesus as the baby in the manger, but Jesus as he is perfected, risen from the dead. And you'll see these three points in your outline. First, that this life of the Christian has a purpose. It's this conformity to Christ's resurrection. Second, that Christ has laid hold of us so that we may lay hold of him. And third, that we are to press onward to the goal of Christ-likeness together as his people. So let's take each one of these in turn and kind of unpack them a little bit. This life has a purpose, the scripture tells us particularly for us as Christians, that we are to be conformed to Christ's resurrection. We see this in what Paul is talking about in this goal that he holds up to the Philippians, the way that he speaks about everything in his life. Remember how the the two verses previous to this kind of set the stage. In verses 10 and 11 it says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. And then he goes from that to in verse 12 saying, not that I have already attained this. And then just a little bit later he talks about the it. I have not made it my own. What is it that he's talking about? That, that he's not already attained, that, that he doesn't yet have. Well, 10 and 11 show us that it is this conformity to Christ, that I might somehow attain to the resurrection from the dead. Now, when we, when we hear that, we might be thinking in natural terms, okay, if I do this and I do that and I do all of these things that God tells me to do, then maybe, just maybe, I might make it. But that's not at all what he's saying. He's, he's talking about what we are to do and calling us to do those things, the purpose that we have to be conformed to the image of Christ that Jesus is described in his resurrection as the first fruits of righteousness. That he is the firstborn among many brethren. That we have been called to this same reality of sinless perfection that Christ has demonstrated through his resurrection, his conquering of the grave. We also see how this first verse, verse 12, describes more about what that resurrected Christ and and being conformed to him is. Did you see how in verse 12 he says, Not that I have already obtained this, the the resurrection of Christ, or, and here he's, he's talking about the very same thing, or am already perfect. You see how... Being perfect is put parallel with what he's saying of obtaining the resurrection, having arrived, if you will, in that regard. Now, unfortunately, there are some Christians who will take this and other passages and twist them in ways 
of implying that we can actually obtain this state of perfection while in this life. And and we need to see how in this Paul is emphasizing our need to work at exactly that. But we'll see later in the passage how that is a future hope of something that Christ has already accomplished for us. And here, our, our use of language trips us up. Often when we talk about hope, we're, we're talking about something that we'd really like. Well, I, I hope that I get my motorcycle fixed before winter comes. I, I hope that we'll have ice cream after dinner. Right? There, there are lots of things. We can just hope this and hope that. No, the, what the scripture is talking about is this hope of the resurrection and that we will share in it with Christ is not a wish I may, I wish I might kind of hope. Rather, it is the very certain hope that we who are in Christ by faith know that when Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you and I will come and return for you, that he wasn't whistling Dixie. He was telling us what he would do. And what Jesus says happens. As certainly as when Jesus said, let there be light and billions of stars filled everything in space. He said it and it happened. And when he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And even his disciples struggled with this, right? I love Thomas. I'm going to prepare a place for you. Where? And Jesus, so patient, says, Thomas, if it wasn't so, I wouldn't have told you. Right? I'm, I'm telling you, because I'm making it happen. I am going to prepare a place for you and I will return. And the hope of every Christian is, is that when he returns, as he has promised to return, is, is that he will make us perfect like him. And so this certain hope that we have is what we're to look forward to. And so what are we supposed to do? He says, I press on. I consider the reality of the gospel. And I forget what lie behind, lies behind and I strain forward to what lies ahead. Not because I think it's going to be like this when I get there. But by faith in Christ, I know that my Savior doesn't lie. And so the term that he uses to explain this, I'm, I'm pressing on, is, is having to do with, with a telescope. It's seeing what is actually there. I, I can't see it with my naked eye, but when I use a telescope, I look and see what, what is there. And so I'm, I'm following the telescope to get to the reality that Christ has promised. This being perfect. He says, I have not already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on 
to make it my own. The, the hard work of living life by faith in Christ according to His Word. That, that He doesn't press on to do pretty well. He doesn't press on to, to obey most of the commandments and then say, well, you know, it's, it's human to err. You can't expect me to do everything. No, this is, this is full-blooded, entirely all that you have going flat out for what Christ demands and commands us to do. The goal that Paul is pursuing is becoming perfect, glorified, made like Christ. And is he's running everything through that filter. Right? Should I do this? Should I not do this? Should I act in this way, speak in this way, think in this way? And all of those things he's, he's assessing based on Will that make me more like Christ? Is that something that is going to, to bear fruit in my life of more faith, of greater righteousness, of more love? Does X help me love like Jesus? Or sacrifice like Jesus? Or obey like Jesus? Then if not, I don't want it everything single-mindedly he's pursuing with this goal now if you live like that it's very easy to get crushed right we, we see it every four years with the Olympics right we we love the stories of of people who have lived single-mindedly for a pursuit in their particular event and said no to everything else, right? For these young men and women, no to boyfriends, no to girlfriends, no, no to going out, no to, to eating pizza, no to, do, you know, all of these other things. It's like, nope, 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 nope. Why? Because I'm doing this. This is the thing that I am all about. And and a very few do that. But hundreds, thousands wipe out, are, are crushed, can't do it. And so it's very important for us to hear that this really is a call to that kind of single-minded devotion, to a passionate pursuit of perfection. And at the very same time that this is only possible in the spiritual regard in and through Christ. Because otherwise you will crush yourself and all those around you. We see in verse 12 how Christ has laid hold of us so that we may lay hold of him. What, what does it mean that Christ has made us his own? Do you see where it says that in, in verse 12? But I press on to make it my own, because Jesus Christ has made me his own. And then in verse 13, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. Anytime that you are reading scripture and you see something repeated, you ought to pay attention. Say, well, okay, because 
the whole of what God has revealed to humanity in 66 books. Now, 66 sounds like a lot, but you know, we, we put it all under one cover. That, he left a lot of stuff out. So what's in here we need to pay very careful attention to, and if something he's not only put in here, but he's repeated it twice, wow, okay, I really ought to pay attention. And, and here he repeats it not just twice, but three times in rapid succession. Right? This is this is a machine gun. You know, he is he is getting our attention and pointing out the importance of what he's saying. I press on to make it my own. What is what does to make it my own mean? It's the, a Greek word that's used as a compound. It it takes two different words and squeezes them together. And and the 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 first is is a preposition. But when it's used in this way as a compound, it, it emphasizes, it's underscoring, it's intensifying. It's like what we have when we put er or est, E-S-T, on the end of something, right? That, that may be big, but bigger is more big than big. And biggest, of course, you know, that highlights, it intensifies, it's, it's saying this is not just a little bit. So what is it that's being intensified? The, the term that's being intensified has to do with a, a decisive initiative. It has to do with pursuing, to take hold of in an aggressive and forceful manner. To, to apprehend, or as the translator here says, to make it my own. It, it's not just that, yeah, you know, I'll pursue that. Kind of like, you know, most teenagers about many things. My current uh, audience teenagers excluded right but have you ever in, encountered this with a teenager who's not motivated about something hey you want to go do this eh. right it, it's it's not well if if all things being equal there's nothing better to do sure no this is this is pursuit single-minded pursuit that you will be mine. People have, have often asked Kristen and I what it was like meeting in seminary, right? Where seminaries, at least evangelical seminaries, tend to be predominantly men pursuing the pastorate. And then some of the women who were there for the MRS degree, that's the Mrs. Boy, we're a slow crowd this morning, okay? Kristen, let me make the point, was not there for an MRS degree, right? She got a master's uh, in theology. So, uh, but she wasn't pursuing it to be a pastor. She was involved in Campus Crusade and wanted more training and more biblical knowledge to be able to disciple young women. But when I saw her, I didn't care any about that, right? I wanted her. But we were in this environment that was mostly men. And so... I not only had to pursue her, I had to use my elbows and box other guys out. And I'll never forget one of the, the upperclassmen, right, uh, pulled me aside one day and said, hey, I just want to check in with you. Uh, I've noticed you've been spending a lot of time with, with Kristen, and, you know, I would really like to ask her out, and, and so, but I didn't want to step on toes, you know. So just kind of, what are you thinking? Are you guys friends, or what, what's the deal? So I looked him dead in the eye and said... I plan on pursuing her until she agrees to marry me and spend the rest of her life with me. And he's like, okay, dude, fine. 
to pursue, to aggressively pursue, to make your own. This is what Paul is saying he's doing. And notice what he's pursuing. Being like Christ in every way. He is single-mindedly pursuing the perfection of the resurrected Christ. And he will be satisfied with nothing else. But then notice what he says in, in using this intensive language, right? He says, this is what I'm pursuing. And then notice what he says. Because. Why? Why? Paul, why? You, like, you've got all the tickets. You're, you're from a, a great family. You've got all the heritage. You've got all the resume. You could do or be anything you wanted to be. He says, I'll be shipwrecked. I'll be beaten. I'll be stoned. I'll be cursed. So that I might be like Christ. Why? Because Jesus Christ has made me his own. He has pursued me from before the foundation of time. He has been relentless as he came and was born in a manger and, and grew as a boy into a man, obeying every command of his Father in my place. He went to the cross to die there for us. He allowed death to lead him away to a tomb. But then he rose from the dead. He conquered death itself. So that I, so that we could be his. Jesus Christ has relentlessly pursued us to make us his own. And because of this, Paul says, I want to pursue him right back. He has me. He has laid hold of me. I will never be free of him. Praise God. I will never be free of him because that's exactly where I want to be. And so I want with every breath, with every action, with every thought, with every word, with everything that I do, with all that I am, I want to be his. And I want him to be mine. And that's all that matters. But the world says, no, no, no. See, you're, you're a slave. You're not able to do what you want to do. You're not free. I was thinking about this, and the, the image of a horse came to mind, a wild horse. And in and, and our kind of romanticism, we, we tend to think of you know, the, the wild horses of Shinkatink, right? How, how wonderful that, that in all the other stuff of the world, there are still horses that run free. And, and it's, it's, it's a wonderful sounding thing, but do you know that God didn't design horses to run free? God designed horses to help human beings. And that a horse is never as free out on the prairie as they are with a bit in their mouth with a loving master leading them. 
Some of you are, are horse riders and know the wonder of having this gigantic, powerful, beautiful horse turning exactly where you want. Serving together. That's, that's what a horse is designed for and where they are freest. And Paul is saying, yes, Lord, I want your bit in my mouth. I want to, to know you so well that, that you don't have to pull on the rein. You just slightly change your place in the saddle and, and I'm there. I'm running full bore for what you want. Jesus had broken Paul to follow his lead. Paul, why? Why are you persecuting me? And he's changed. And so now he wants to do what God has designed him to do. And so he presses on. He's decisively taking the initiative to master his self-sacrificing love for Christ and all that Christ calls him to love. This is what we find in Paul again and again. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he says it this way, starting at verse 23. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its message and blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath but we an imperishable one. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. Or in 1 Timothy, as he teaches Timothy to follow his example, he says in chapter 6, verse 12 to 16, But as for you, O man of God, flee these things, all the, the things of the world, Pursue instead righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Jesus Christ who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, this is the goal. This is what we are all to be aiming at. And this is what Christ has laid hold of us for us to be able to do. So how do we do that? What does that mean and what does that look like? We have to press onward to the goal of Christ-likeness. Paul describes this pursuit as receiving an upward call. That God himself has called us to this perfection. He says it again and again. I am perfect, therefore you are to be perfect. I will be your God and you will be my people. Together, in perfection, we will fellowship one with another. And so he says it this way in Ephesians, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. I'm not doing these things hoping that I'll get noticed and then God will call me. But because he's called us, because we've trusted Christ in faith, now I want to conform everything in my life 
to the perfection to which Jesus has won for us. In 2 Peter chapter 1, he talks about this and how the divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. This is, this is why Christ has saved us, that we might be godly. You say, oh, Pat, uh, we're not godly. Exactly. That's why we needed Christ to die for us. But we don't get to say, I wasn't godly, I'm still not godly, but Jesus has died for us, so I get into heaven. Now I'm just going to keep living my life the way that I've always lived it. No. He says, yes. You were wicked in every way, in everything that you did. Because in everything you did, you denied me. And I've come and saved you from that wickedness. I've come and forgiven you for it in my death on the cross. So now, in new life, live as new men and women. Live in the way that Christ has called us to live. You might also look at 2 Peter chapter 1, read verses 3 to 10. In all these things we find that not just for Paul, not just for the Philippians, but all who call upon Christ as Savior and Lord are to live in this way, are to press on to be more and more conformed to the image of Christ. So is this what we're determined to do? Is that what you're aiming at? Is that what you're striving for? And if so, how does that reflect itself in your life? What are things that you are saying no to that you're cutting out of your life? I don't know about you, but I often find when I cut things out of my life that are not helping me become more like Christ, they're, they're like weeds. They, they keep coming back, springing back, right? I already cut you out of my life. Well, here I am again. It's like, what? How, how do we get at the root to be focused on Christ? To, to not simply try harder, right? Keep, keep pulling up the, the weeds. Yes, I, I need to pull up the weeds, but I've got to also be putting the truth in the soil. I've got to be encouraging others in my life and allowing them to encourage me. We, we talk a lot here at First Congregational Church about being accountable, about the importance of fellowship and discipleship and in allowing other people to speak into our lives. But when I do some lame brain thing that I know I shouldn't do, that I've, I've got Peter... I've got Keith, I've got Gil, I've, I've got Tom, I've got people in my life who will pull me aside and go, uh, what, what are you doing? And stop it. But here's the other side of that, is how do we respond when someone tells us that uncomfortable truth? Well, Pastor, I'm glad to say I'm not one of them Pharisees, so I just told them to shut up. Mind your own business. I don't need that kind of negativity in my life. Now, I don't know why, but whenever I, I fall into talking evil things, I, it comes out as a southern twang. I don't know why. 
Southern brothers and sisters watching online, I mean no disrespect. But that, that's, the, that's the thing, isn't it? How do we, how do we live this out? Because we'll go for a little stint. We'll go for a little while, and we'll really mean it. And turning over a new leaf, and man, I'm going to work on this. And that lasts, you know, months, weeks, hours. And we fall back into the same thing. Does that happen to you? And so Paul's not just saying, okay, try it again. This time mean it. Go back to what he said. Why do I do this? Because Christ has laid hold of me. Oh, Jesus, forgive me for, for trying as if I can do this. Work in me. Holy Spirit, enable me. This is why we need to, as a congregation, be on our knees and our face before God. We're, we're having a, a concert of prayer on Friday, not just because, well, that sounds like a nice spiritual thing to do, but because your pastor desperately needs you to call upon Christ, to be at work in me, to keep me from selfish ambition and foolishness, because we need that. Please, join me in prayer Friday. But not just Friday. Let this be what characterizes us as a people of God. That we confess our sin. That we turn from it. That we learn more and more to hate it. And want nothing to do with it. Lord, rip out the weeds. Get them root and all and replace those weeds with the fruit of the Spirit. He is the God of the resurrection. That's what He does. He conquers death and sin and brings life. So God has given us His means, the Word of God, prayer, the sacraments, the fellowship of fellow believers. Are you using those? Are you relentlessly pursuing them to help us in being more like Christ? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your relentless pursuit of us. Help us to pursue you back, to grow in godliness, to confess our sin, to turn from it, to hate it, as we love you instead. Lord, we pray that you would help us, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So let us ask for the Lord to lead us together. Stand with me as we sing hymn number 580, Lead On, O King Eternal.
We've just asked him to lead us. The question that each one of us needs to work through is will we follow him? Will we follow his lead? So for some of you, that means starting because you've never bowed before him. And so that can be as simple as praying right now, Lord Jesus, I need you. Please lead me. Your death on the cross is what I need. Or maybe you've prayed that kind of prayer long before. And what you need to do, what I need to do, is say, Father, forgive me. I know these things, but I don't live like them. Please help me. Don't wait. We, we don't tend to do altar calls here. But I'm calling you now. Is this what you need to do today? Don't wait. And I'd love to talk with you after the service. And now receive the blessing of God. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen and amen. Please be seated for a moment. Praise be to Christ. Go in peace.